Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And as always, welcome to the clinic. Welcome to all of our listeners. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I hope you find our shows enjoyable. One of the things that I would say uh, before we even get started on the show, you know, I want to give a shout out to all the other members of Virgin Most Powerful Radio, especially the uh, all of my fellow one-man shows, you know, with Gary Machuda listening to Hands-On Apologetics. He had a great show on New Age uh, movement and ideals. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, go on to our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Uh, great show there by Gary Mishuda. Um And then Dr. Edward Mazza, always a pleasure to listen to the Bar of History. I always learn something new. Uh, so interesting to learn about the history of our church. Um, and it's important to know about our history because based on our history, that's kind of where we're headed, right? If we don't uh, study our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And as always, no nonsense Catholic with Matthew Arnold. Um, and then uh, Bible with the Barbers. Uh, normally Mary Danielle's on there. Sometimes she has Terry on as a guest. But uh, No Nonsense Catholic, great uh, stuff from Matthew Arnold, uh, who always informs us on biblical teaching and what's coming out of that. And Bible with the Barbers, wonderful theological commentary uh, from Mary Danielle Barber. So if you're not listening to some of our shows, uh, I encourage you to do so. You can always go on to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. I know we're also on Facebook. Of course, Jesus 911 and the Terry and Jesse show are always dead ringers uh, in terms of great Catholic information and really good Catholic information all around for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. One of the things that I wanted to remind our listeners about uh, is that we are going to be having the Women's Conference coming up in September on September 18th, True Devotion to St. Joseph, uh, Father Charles Muir, Father Stephen Lesnowski, and Mary Danielle Barber will be giving uh, some commentary on that and talks during that conference. So looking forward to that, looking forward to listening uh, to the Women's Conference, because even as men, we can learn something too, you know, when we're having a Women's Conference. But before we get started on the rest of our show, let's go ahead and get started with the Angelus here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
All right. Well, let's get started on today's show. Today's show, we have a great show. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but one of the things is, for anybody who's been listening to the show or who listened last week, you know that I'm going to start focusing on the seven sorrows of Our Lady. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show, but there are going to be some giveaways for our listeners. So uh, if anybody who uh, is interested, feel free to email me. My email is doctor, that's dr. Sandoval, vmpr at gmail.com. That vmpr means Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So again, that's doctor.sandoval, vmpr at gmail.com um, because you're going to hear about some giveaways for us who are uh, going to focus on the devotion to the seven sorrows of Our Lady. Uh, I want you to email me um, so that you can get that, but we're going to talk about that at the last uh, quarter of our show. To start off though, and in keeping with that theme, is today we're going to talk about the difference between suffering and sacrifice and what does that mean for us as Catholics? Uh, because, you know, we're going to be thinking like Catholics. We're going to go into Catholic thought so that we can live like Catholics. And that way we can say that we are Catholics or that we, uh, you know, we can be Catholic. One of the things that's important is how do we think about suffering? Because this happens a lot. So if we're going to do our coffee and therapy uh, corner here for the first part. It's very, very common that people come to the clinic and they say, Doc, you need to help me. There's got to be a pill. There's got to be something to make me feel good. And one of the challenges in our current day society is that we see suffering as something terrible. We're not supposed to feel bad. That's not supposed to happen. You know, there's really two main things in our society that I think are plaguing us immediately um, and causing a lot of our ails. One is this idea that we're supposed to have perfect lives uh, and we're supposed to settle in and not suffer, not feel bad. And then the other thing, which is kind of married to that, is that since we're not supposed to suffer, we're supposed to always feel good and we're supposed to get whatever we want right now. So there's no sense of waiting. There's no sense of of always being in preparation. It's a matter of if I want something, I'll pull out that credit card, I'll order something and hopefully get it in an hour. You know, everything's virtual. So if I want information, it's there. Long gone are the days uh, where, you know, people used to go to the library and go to the Dewey Decimal System and pull out different information or find the book in the library and cross-reference and index. It's all in this one little very convenient box of the computer, which is true, uh, and it is convenient, but it doesn't lend itself to developing our virtue. So really, today's kind of a part one of two different shows. Today we're going to talk about suffering and sacrifice and what that means. And the next uh, show, which is going to be a follow-up to the show, uh, is going to be talking about virtues and how they help us into thinking that we don't might not necessarily need everything right away. And that's a good thing. Sometimes uh, waiting for things or having to wait for things uh, is very... It builds the Catholic character. It builds the soul, which is, if we think about it, why we have periods of anticipation and waiting, such as Advent before Christmas, Lent before Easter. And we'll talk about those on the next show. But today, let's talk about suffering um, and sacrifice and what the difference is. And let's look at it from a perspective of a patient. So I've had a lot of patients come to the clinic and very common, like I said, you know, I want a pill for something. One of the ones that I remember was a poor gentleman. He was probably in his 50s. And his wife of 20 some odd years passed away and he was in a lot of pain, understandably so. I think if I say that any of our listeners will say, yeah, of course he's in pain. You know, he's been married for 20 some odd years. His wife had cancer uh, and she passed away and he loved her and they had a great relationship. They had a great marriage and he's going to be in pain. He, he's not going to feel good. But when he came to me, 
he really, really wanted uh, something to take away the pain. He wanted a pill. He wanted something for immediate relief uh, and was actually a little bit upset initially that that didn't exist. And I told him, I don't have a pill uh, to remove grief. And because that's really what he's going through, right? The normal human emotion of grief. But we forget that grieving is actually something that might be good because it's telling us something. It's telling us that we're missing something. It's telling us that we're uh, uh, hurting for something that was good. And so it's it's actually a form of suffering, uh, but that God gives us because it's important to understand that we did experience something good and the grieving lets me know that 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 meant something. It had meaning to it. That's one of the cases I remember. There was another case of a, of a patient actually who they sent me an email and they said, Dear Dr. Sandoval, um, for a long time now I have been trying to help my son. He's in his early 20s and he's addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, and in parentheses, not sure what drugs, but they just said street drugs. Um, so I guess we can imagine methamphetamine, uh, marijuana, maybe cocaine, you know, maybe speed, LSD, take your pick. Um, but apparently they're drugs and alcohol. Um, I don't know where he is all the time. He will come home and sleep here at times, uh, but then he will be away and we don't know where to find him for a few days. Uh, I don't know how to help him. I've told him that the rules of the house are that there is no drugs in the house. I have not seen any drugs uh, or let me see. I think they meant uh, like drug paraphernalia. They said I, I haven't seen any drug things in the house, but I can tell his clothes don't smell good. And there's usually a smell of alcohol when he comes home. Um, what am I supposed to do? Is there some way that I can feel better about this? Do I need therapy myself uh, as I help them? Very, very challenging case because we're asking the right questions, right? These, these are the normal questions. I'm trying to take care of my son. Apparently, if he's doing drugs and alcohol and he's just kind of using the home as a pit stop, as a couch surfing kind of place, uh, maybe as his own room, I'm assuming. They didn't specify probably as his own room, early 20s, comes and goes. What do we do about that? Well, it's challenging because the parents and the family are suffering from it. I don't know if the, if the we'll say the son here, we'll call him the patient. Uh, I don't know if he's suffering or not, or, or if he's just kind of on a joy ride and he doesn't see anything in terms of uh, anything bad with what he's doing. And usually, I got to say, when people are using drugs or alcohol, they really don't take anybody else into account. So they're not too worried that mom's you know hurting for them or worried about them. They're not too worried if they're causing dad pain. It's just not, it's not the nature. It's not because they're bad people. It's just not the nature of drug use. There's a few things that I can guarantee anybody, if they're family members of themselves, if anybody's using drugs, I guarantee you one, the person using drugs is going to lie to you. Not because they're bad people, not because they're liars. I don't want to label anybody. It's just part of the, the nature of the beast. You know, they're going to say, oh yeah, don't worry, I'll be there. Or, oh yeah, don't worry, I'll show up at this time. Or take your pick, you know, oh, I'm going to stop drugs whenever I can. And it just doesn't happen. And after treating so many people with, with uh, drug problems, I anticipate that's the case, you know. And so usually uh, when I address them, I say, well, when was the last time you used drugs? And they say, oh, you know, I quit like two weeks ago. And I'll ask the question again, not saying, oh, I know you're lying to me. But I'll say, no, come on, let's, let's think about it a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, last week you told me this happened um, or things along those lines. Um, and so we got to have that conversation with them and understand where they're at before we can treat them. But in this case, I also want to address all the things that the mom said. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how do we treat the mom? How do we address her issues of suffering? And how do we start thinking about that as Catholic in terms of treating our sufferings as a sacrifice? More on the other side of the break.
All right, welcome back to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Uh, for those of you just joining us, we are talking today about suffering and sacrifice. And before the break, I discussed a couple of situations, a couple of clinical cases. One was a gentleman who lost his wife of 20 some odd years to cancer. Um, and he was in a lot of pain and he wanted immediate relief, but there's no immediate relief for that. Unfortunately, grief, you know, it takes time. It takes, uh, um, uh, pretty much time and therapy and, and, um, thinking about our loved one and, and going through the grieving process in order to feel better. We don't necessarily have a pill for grief and that can be challenging. That can be a tough way to suffer. Um, and then we talked about a mom who is worried about her son who is using drugs and kind of comes and goes and she really doesn't know what's going on with him. He kind of shows up at the house and then he leaves and uh, he's just kind of back and forth and she wants to help him out. Now we talked about how dealing with anybody who's uh, suffering from drug abuse, uh, there's the challenge of them having a certain way of being in terms of, you know, they might not always be honest. They, we can't rely on them. They're going to blame the rest of the world for their issues. But the real question is, how do we help out the mom suffering? Is there a pill for this? Is there something that we can do? You know, the most I can offer for this mom uh, would be perhaps going to therapy sessions for yourself, uh, perhaps going to talking to your parish priest or something along those lines, only because your suffering is coming from uh, your emotional dependence, a healthy emotional dependence on your son because we love our children. Um, and we always, and it always hurts us to see them suffer, uh, much like I would say it hurts Christ to see us suffer, to, to see us in sin. Uh, it hurts God to see us in sin because he knows that we're going to suffer. Um, and then there's, you know, other cases. So that's kind of an extreme case, if you will, obvious case of if somebody's using drugs, if somebody's not uh, living up to their potential, as we say, because they're hurting themselves with either drugs or alcohol. But then there's other cases where parents are going to suffer. And again, it kind of goes back to those teenage years, those early teen years, my kids going off to college. And now it's a really challenging time because they're going to be making their own decisions. And those decisions might not be uh, in tune with what I'm hoping that they do or the way that we brought them up. You know, we've, we brought them up in a very good Catholic household, in a wholesome Catholic household. And we hope that they continue to make those decisions uh, for their own lives. But you know, the kids are on their own and hopefully they'll remember the teachings in the back of their mind as they navigate their own waters. But that can be hard if you all of a sudden you find out, nope, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. No, they're not uh, following the rules that hopefully we instruct them to. No, they're not trying their hardest at school. Um, you know, that can be really hard and it can cause a lot of suffering. Hard to treat. Um, it really comes down to therapy and things along those lines. If we're going to go talk to a therapist, if we're going to talk to somebody along those lines. But if we're going to look at this from a Catholic perspective, well, what's our Catholic perspective on suffering and what can we do about it? I think that one of the challenges as Catholics, and this is what we need to think about, this is what I tell my patients if they are faith-based, is that while we are suffering, there's a difference between suffering and sacrifice. So just because we're suffering doesn't mean that we're offering sacrifice, but we can turn our suffering into sacrifice. And we can turn anything into a sacrifice. We can turn something positive into a sacrifice. We can turn something negative into a sacrifice. But let's look at the difference. So I just went online. I like to just go online and see what the general definitions of terms are. Um, we can always go straight to the dictionary, but online is nice because most people are going online and just kind of see, does this line up with our understanding of these terms? So let's define it. So suffering... Uh, is uh, if we look at the noun form, it is a state of pain or distress, 
right? Um, and so we know that very commonly, and that's what we're saying. I'm in pain, I am in distress, because something's happening. Uh, it could be physical pain. Some people are suffering from physical pain uh, as they're doing, say, chemotherapy or going through cancer. That can be very painful for some people. Um, and as we've discussed, emotional pain can be even worse sometimes than physical pain as we suffer for our family members, our friends, our loved ones, uh, lost relationships, lots of different reasons why we can suffer emotionally. How do we turn that into sacrifice? Well, let's define what sacrifice is. If we're going to look at a sacrifice, uh, to sacrifice, shall we say, if we look at the verb form, um, well, actually, let's, let's go back a little bit. We looked at the noun form of suffering. Um, let's look at the noun form of sacrifice. A sacrifice is an offering of anything to a God, consecratory right. Um, and so something's sacrificed. So a sacrifice is an offering normally to a deity. And then let's see it from the verb form to sacrifice, to offer something as a gift to a, a deity. So normally a sacrifice is that I'm offering something to a higher power, as they would say, maybe an Alcoholics Anonymous or something like that. As Catholics, we say, I'm offering something to God. So I'm offering it to, to God or the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm offering them something. And I can offer the God really anything. You know, anything that comes my way, normally we think, well, we say offer it up if we're in pain. Make it a sacrifice. A sacrifice, remember, is just an offering. But a sacrifice doesn't have to be negative. So let's back up a little bit. What do you mean, Dr. Sandoval? Isn't a sacrifice always something negative? No, a sacrifice can be something very positive. Um, today we are going to be focusing on more the negative side because we're talking about suffering. But I still remember when I was reading about the little flower, if anybody studied St. Teresa Lisieux, uh, from France, and she was, uh, there was an anecdote, a story one time, where obviously she was trying to lead a life of sanctity and humility, and as she was in the convent with her nuns, she put up with a lot of different things, whether it be ridicule, or people thinking that she thought she was holier than anybody else, or things along those lines, um, and that can be a challenging place to be. But of course, like I said, our normal idea is that sacrifice is something that we offer because we're in pain, and that's what we offer to God. But one day, apparently, you know, St. Therese was uh, in the, uh, she was eating and she was enjoying a piece of cake, it seemed like. And her fellow nuns uh, in the convent saw this and they kind of joked with her a little bit. Uh, and they said, hey, you know, how in the world can you enjoy that? You know, it's obviously a delicious cake and, and you're supposed to be leading a life of, of suffering or, or self-denial or things along those lines. What do you make of that? What's your excuse, shall we say, for indulging a little bit in a piece of delicious cake? And her answer was very simple. And she said, I offer it up. I turn it into a sacrifice. We can turn something positive into a sacrifice too. Remember, the definition of sacrifice is just to offer a gift or an offering to God. That's all it is. It's an offering, whether it be something positive, whether it's, you know, gosh, I just got a brand new car and I'm so happy. God, I offer this to you. I offer you my happiness. I turned my brand new car into a sacrifice and it's, and it's a very good thing. Um, the suffering component, we can also turn that into a gift to God. I think God accepts all of our gifts because he's realizing that we acknowledge him uh, as in the first commandment tells us he is our God. Well, how do we think like Catholics in the terms of suffering though, in terms of how do we turn our suffering into sacrifice. Well, if we're going to think like Catholics, sometimes it's a good idea to go back, as I always say, if we're going to think, think like Catholics, we better start knowing either what the Catholic Church says, what the Scripture says, uh, what our tradition tells us, if of whatever topic uh, we are discussing. And right now we're looking at suffering. What does the Catechism of the Catholic Church say? So let's see. It says, we all must face suffering. 
from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 385. God is infinitely good and all his works are good. Yet no one can ex- uh, escape the experience of suffering or the evils in nature which seem to be linked to the limitations proper to creatures and above all to the question of moral evil. Where does evil come from? I saw once evil comes and there was no solution, said St. Augustine. So St. Augustine saying, I was trying to see where does evil come from and there's no solution. And his own painful quest would only be resolved by his conversion to the living God. So again, that's the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 385. No one can escape the experience of suffering. Well, it goes on also, if we look at the, again, the Catechism, still sticking with the Catechism, 1500 to 1501, illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. This is true, right? As we get sick, we start to realize, I'm not immortal. I'm gonna, if I can get sick, I'm vulnerable. My body is vulnerable. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. Very true. I've seen this a lot in the hospitals. You know, people are on, say, dialysis um, and, and all, you know, because their kidneys aren't working. Uh, they had poisoning, something along those lines, any dialysis. Some people, I've seen it where you're in the same dialysis unit and some people are sitting there and happy and reading a book and realizing that they just, appreciate life. And because of what they're going through, they recognize that God gave us life and that we're not going to be here forever. Other people wonder, why would God punish me like this? I don't deserve this. In fact, I had a patient one time who was in the dialysis ward and they told me, I don't belong here because I'm not like these other people. I'm better than these other people. Literally, that's where their their mind was. They were saying, I am better, so I, I shouldn't suffer the way they do. I'm a better person than they are. And so sometimes that's what it leads us to. I think that that's revolting against God in despair um, because we don't recognize that, no, I'm not better than anybody else. I'm on the same planet. God made me like everybody else. And why shouldn't I have the same vulnerabilities? I need to offer this up as a sacrifice or I'm going to suffer and become bitter. The catechism goes on to say it can also make a person more mature, helping him discern his life what is not essential so that he can turn towards that which is very often illness provides a search for God and a return to him. And that's what I noticed with those people who were happy, who were, they were the same situation. It was dialysis units. You know, some people have to go to dialysis twice a week. Some people have to go three times a week, whatever the situation is, but some people really mature spiritually and say, you know what, at this point, this is what God gave me. I give it up. I stopped trying to make plans for myself but that other patient was very much, uh, it kind of it kind of sticks with me a little bit just because they were very brazen and very uh, honest. I'll give them that. They were honest, but they really, really believed that they were better than everybody else. And that was hard to deal with because how do you convince somebody that they're not? That person, I'll tell you this, when I saw the differences between that person, that person was suffering versus the people who could let go and offered it as a sacrifice to God, they were happy. So, it doesn't suffering is going to happen. It doesn't mean that we can't experience joy in the midst of our suffering. And that's important to consider, you know, especially for parents when we are dealing with 
our children are now making their own decisions, uh, whether it be drug use, whether it be just life decisions, they grow older. Um, you know, this is out of my control and it's happening and I see it happening as parents. It's very easy to blame ourselves. It's a natural consequence of being parents because we're so used to, gosh, you know, I'm going to get to you to school. I'm going to make sure you have the clothes you need. I'm going to make sure I have a whole lot of things for you. And then all of a sudden the kids grow up and they get to a point where, I can't make sure of a whole lot. I mean, it's really up to you at this point. I see that all the time too when kids are seen by their pediatricians and then all of a sudden they come and they have to see me now because they've transitioned out and they need to see an adult psychiatrist. They're no longer being seen by pediatric psychiatrists and they come to me and the parents really, really want to come into the room and find out what's going on and, and find out what we're talking about. And it's a very challenging transition because now it's adult medicine. Now it's a, it's a matter of, no, the parents can't be here. And I ask, have to ask the permission of say the person who just turned 18, if they want their parents to find out anything, if they want them in the same room or not. And that can be very challenging. It can be very hurtful uh, for some parents uh, to understand that transition. It's hard it, and it causes suffering. It does cause suffering. Um, but let's look at if we're going to keep thinking like Catholics. So the, the, we just saw that the catechism tells us no one can escape the experience of suffering. It's part of human nature. When we come back, we're going to take a little bit more look at well, that's what the catechism tells us. What does the Bible tell us about suffering? Is there such a thing as holy suffering? Is there such a thing as redemptive suffering? And what does that mean? Hard to accept when we're in pain, but we're going to see how we can continue to turn our suffering into sacrifice when we come back on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back here to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about a deep topic. It's the difference between suffering and sacrifice. Not something we like to talk about uh, because we do experience a lot of suffering in our life. Uh, and sometimes we think it doesn't mean much of anything. Sometimes we think it's for naught. And it's like, why is this all this happening? Why is there so much negativity? If we look at the world today, just turn on the news. <laughs> we're, not, we're not short of any suffering, that's for sure. But how can I turn it into sacrifice? You know, a big part of it comes from, and this is going to sound so cliche, and we hear this all the time, but it is very true. You know, knowing the difference between what's in my control and what's out of my control. What can I control in my world? Uh, what is it that I can truly make a, a change in that I'm not doing? And maybe need to consider what activities I need to do there versus looking at, you know, gosh, there's not a whole lot I could have done about that. It was out of my control and it, and it hurts and I wish that I could, but that's where I have to offer it up. And I can offer everything up. I can offer anything positive, negative, and in between to our Lord. And then that way turn my suffering into sacrifice, which is really a gift to God. Um, again, before we go on, if there's any questions or anybody wants to contact me, feel free to email me at doctor, that's dr dot Sandoval, vmpr at gmail.com. I know some of our listeners had some questions uh, before. Um, also, there's going to be a giveaway at the end of the show, so you're going to want to email me uh, because I'm going to give out a little bit of homework uh, as we talk about uh, Our Lady of Seven Sorrows and what does, what does that mean in terms of our redemption and suffering as we start to prepare now that we've gone from the, uh, the assumption, excuse me, last week um, to uh, the month of September, which is the month of Our Lady of Sorrows. Um, so let's look on, <clears throat> we talked a little bit about the, what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says about suffering, um, but let's look at what the Bible says, because the Bible can be a little bit challenging. Dep also depends on which uh, a book we're reading, because sometimes it sounds like we're supposed to suffer, um, which if you look at it, we kind of are. I mean, if we go back to Genesis and after the fall, God said, 
now there's going to be suffering. It wasn't exactly a punishment. I mean, when we read it, it looks like, well, you did this, and guess what? Now you're going to get punished. I think we have to look at it more as a natural consequence of things, not so much a punishment. It's just these are the laws of nature. These are the laws of God. This is natural law. If you trip and fall, it's going to hurt. And so when we trip and fall, it's going to hurt. And that's why God's saying, I don't want you to trip and fall. I don't want you to suffer. In fact, I want you to live here with me in happiness. But if you do trip and fall, unfortunately, the way back is through suffering. Um, you know, let's look at some of these quotes. This is a, the Second Peter 2.9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So, you know, if we are godly, the Lord will rescue us from trial. He will take us out of that punishment, meaning that not just because we fall, but the godly are those who fall, but get back up, you know, get back up from that. And the unrighteous, uh, people who stay in sin, the punishment is going to be there until the day of judgment. So if we get out of sin, hopefully we won't have punishment. Now, somebody might say, well, Dr. Sandoval, how in the world does that apply to a parent who say, you know, uh, like we were talking about before, their, their kids are, are really causing them a lot of suffering. How do I get up from that? I mean, the parent didn't fall, did they? They can. And what I mean by that is this. If we see our children, uh, you know, shall we say, leading a life that's not righteous, one way that parents can actually risk falling into sin is if we fall into despair as parents. If we all of a sudden start to really believe uh, that only we can save our children and that God has no, no place in it and that because of what I did, that's why they fell and I need to control the situation and I don't accept the fact that God is actually in charge of them at some point, um, people fall into, into that trap all the time. We see that in deliverance all the time. It's the idea that, you know, people get trapped into dark, into darkness. People start to get influenced by, uh, dark entities because they forget that God is actually working. And we believe that, oh my goodness, I have to get out of the situation all by myself. I have to say these prayers. I have to fight the devil. I, 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 I notice that there's a whole lot of an I, and there's not a whole lot of, well, God, what can you do to help me? Please help me to do this. You know, I ask for your help. I ask for deprecatory prayers. You know, Jesus, please help me, um, um, you know, fight these demons uh, versus thinking that, no, I have to do this on my own and I have to fight all this. It, it can be a very challenging position to be in. But the, the key to that is, as part of our suffering, if we don't offer it up to God, if we don't turn it into a sacrifice, we can easily fall into despair and really carry the burden all on our own. Um, <clears throat> there's another one. This is a beautiful one. So Hebrew 12:5. my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. That last part, interesting. So one, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So if you are going through a trial, don't take it lightly, take it seriously. Why? Don't lose courage when you are punished by him. Now, again, we use that term punishment, but um, punishment just really means that we feel suffering. And I think that if we look at it or we, for, we can easily forget to look at it as a time of spiritual growth because it's hard to be patient when we're in pain. I think back to um, the patient who lost his wife and who she was mourning and, or he was mourning for her. And all of a sudden, you know, is how do we grow from that over time? guess what? We're actually going to mature in our suffering and we look at people and we, and we might be able to, let's say that we pass something that difficult, the death of a loved one, the death of a spouse. 
And then maybe later on, God's going to use us to be able to help other people who might experience that. If we go through that, if we can keep um, our, our sights on God, maybe we're going to grow spiritually and be a spiritual shoulder for somebody else. Um, and that can be important. we got to remember that God is always working with us. Because let's look at this. Look, look at Matthew 20, 22 through 23. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. This is um, Christ talking to his apostles. And he's saying, do you really think, because they were asking him about glory, about who's going to sit where, who's going to be important uh, in heaven. And he said, you know, and don't we all want that? Don't we all say, yeah, I do want to make it to heaven. Oh, I want a high place in heaven. But we don't want the suffering that comes with it. And we don't know how to always turn that into sacrifice. And that can be very, very challenging. In today's world, I'm telling you, nobody wants to suffer. We don't, we don't, we forget that it's okay to suffer, that it's okay to feel certain things uh, that might not be pleasant, and that those are times of trial and growth. But we're so, so very busy thinking, nope, can't feel bad at all. I need a pill to make myself feel better. That prevent, I mean, and don't get me wrong, if somebody's going through a clinical situation, clinical depression, a clinical anxiety, really suffering psychosis, absolutely, you need to get uh, medication to get out of that situation. But why? Why get out of that situation? Because ultimately, we want to be able to experience the difference between suffering and sacrifice as somebody who's not being hindered by any kind of mental illness. Because guess what? Just because I give people medication, sometimes people will say, I don't understand. You know, I'm taking this medication for depression and my depression's lifted, but I still don't feel good. I thought that if I took this, I would never be in a bad position. And I say, no, I can't stop life from happening. We forget that suffering is part of life and it doesn't feel good. It can feel like a depression. It might not be a clinical depression, but it could be a spiritual depression, a spiritual darkness. We can't forget about the saints and the saints' lives. And we're going to talk about that next. You know, when we right now we're thinking like Catholics, um, you know, as we're reading the Bible and the catechism, but then we want to make sure that we live like Catholics and the best way that we learn how to live like Catholics is by following the saints who went before us and saw, see how they lived their lives. We're going to touch on that in just a little bit. But a few more Bible verses on suffering, which I think are very important. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> oh, this is classic. I mean, this is, this is how we know that there's always going to be suffering. We, we can't get complacent in this world um, for a, a couple of reasons. But one, this is where Matthew 10, 38 through 39 He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And what does that mean? It really comes down to the same thing we were just talking about. I cannot get complacent in this world and feel like, oh, you know what? I've got the perfect house, got a great car, got my checklist done, and now I shouldn't suffer. That's not the way, that's the way the world works, but that's not the way that Christ works because he's telling us no matter what, you got to take your cross. Everybody has problems. I don't care how much money people have, they still have problems. They might be different problems from somebody who say is scraping for their meal for the day. It's going to be a different problem, but you know why they still have problems? Because we all still have to make it to heaven one way or another, whether we have money, not money, comforts, no comforts, we're all going to have different types of sacrifices. This is an important one. Now this goes back to the catechism of the Catholic church in 618. It says Jesus desires to associate with his redeeming sacrifice. Those who were to be its first beneficiaries. This is achieved supremely in the case of his mother who was associated more intimately than any other person in the mystery of his redemptive suffering. 
We're going to go back to that at the end of the show because we are going to talk about Our Lady and the seven sorrows of Our Lady and how important it is that we follow that as we get into the month of September. But this is telling us nobody was associated more intimately than any other person in the mystery of his redemptive suffering other than his mother, and Our Lady did not have the stain of sin. If Our Lady, without the stain of sin, herself went through suffering, Christ did not have the stain of sin, he suffered in place of us or for us, then we have to recognize that we, who are far from perfect, better take that take on that suffering and maybe be happy about that suffering and offer it up as a sacrifice because that's going to help us make up for our sins and that would be important this this staying on that theme uh the catechism of the catholic church 793 christ unites us with his passover all his members must strive to resemble him until christ be formed in them for this reason we are taken up into the mysteries of his life associated with his sufferings as the body with his head, suffering with him, that with him we may be glorified. Remember, there's no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. The suffering part is there. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we turn it into a uh, sacrifice? Do we turn it into a gift back from God? Because if you think about it, that's kind of what comes down, that's what the Eucharist comes down to. The Eucharist was a sacrifice. We call it the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And being that it is a sacrifice, it was a gift, but it was a gift of suffering. So Christ obviously suffered took on our sins, took on our suffering, decided I'm going to suffer for you, the suffering you're supposed to have, and I'm going to offer it to God. So all of a sudden it becomes a gift. It becomes the ultimate sacrifice. We don't call it the ultimate suffering. We know that Christ suffered in order to sacrifice, in order to give it as a gift. That can be really hard for us to accept because we don't like not feeling good. And if society's telling us that we're always supposed to feel good, that makes it, you know, twice as hard because then we think that there's something wrong with us. We think that there, you know, there's a way that we need to fix our emotions. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's a matter of being able to offer what we have and give it to God. You know, a classic example of this as well is when we go to confession because sometimes we feel guilty. And that word of feeling guilty is very taboo in the mental health world, right? You're not supposed to feel guilty about anything. You're supposed to feel happy. But guilt can actually be a positive emotion that drives us to look into our own souls, do an examination of conscience, and make things right with God in the sacrament of confession. More when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we are talking about turning our suffering into a sacrifice, into a gift. Suffering is going to happen. It doesn't feel good. You know, and we all suffer for different reasons. I can I can share my own sufferings as well, I'm sure, uh, that to other people might say, Dr. Sandoval, those aren't really sufferings or there's not problems. But you know what? To me, they are. Um, and I'm sure that I think the same way sometimes when people come to me with uh, ideas of what they think they're suffering from. And I, you know, we, we, we very easily... Um, brush people off, you know, and, and it's hard to do because we might not know what their sufferings are. And if they'd say, oh, but this was really hurting me, we always go back and we compare it to our own lives and say, well, that wouldn't be a suffering for me. So it can't be a suffering. And you know what? That's not really fair. It's not fair because everybody has the right to suffer in their own individual ways. And the reason I say that is because our relationship with God is very individual. Our relationship with Christ is individual. So, you know, some people might go to confession for something that might seem very trivial uh, to the priest or to other people. 
but they know what's going on in their hearts. Uh, they know that they are suffering in a way that, you know, based on their relationship with Christ, it might not have been something positive. It might have been something that hurt that relationship the way it's set up for the person individually. So one of the things that helps uh, that I try to do is remind myself that if somebody's suffering, it's important to them, and I shouldn't try to compare them to whatever my experience is because my experience is not their experience. It's not always fair. But we talked a little bit about, you know, different cases, you know, especially I always think of it from a parent's perspective because a lot of things are out of our control as parents. When we see our children, we no longer feel that, um, you know, as they grow up, we no longer feel that they're in control, that we're in control of them. You know, if we're sick or, or we're ailing, we, we can make decisions for ourselves. But how many times do we blame our parents for the decisions we make? And that's, you know, as we get older. And that's what I remind the parents who come and talk to me and or anybody who's lost a loved one, and I remind them, you know, there's only so much we can do. Uh, after a while, everybody's going to grow up and make their own mature decisions, and they can no longer blame us as parents or anybody else for the decisions they chose to make. What I do hope for, though, is that we have talked to each other, that we have taught our children, that we have uh, hopefully set a good example so that when we, they get older, they can remember the good advice that we gave them. You know, this is very common uh, as we see the lives of saints. Why read the lives of saints? Why read or uh, try to understand the lives of saints? You know, from the outside looking in, a lot of people say, oh, you worship the saints or, you know, things along those lines. And that's not the case. It's kind of like what I tell people, or they, you know, they say, gosh, you have statues of saints, so that's idolatry. That's what I tell people, you know, if we look at civics and we look at uh, politics, how many people study the presidents that went before? And they like to see what decisions they made as a president or as a congressman or, you know, take your pick, anybody in politics. We like to see what decisions they made because we like to see, well, how did that, what was the outcome for the country, for the city, for the state, for the county, uh, depending on what position the person held. So we study their lives. We study their decisions they made because we hope that we bring the, the political state to a positive place and we can learn from the decisions they make. It's the same thing with the saints I'm studying, you know, what spiritual decisions did they make so I can maybe continue in that direction and make some spiritual decisions myself. As far as any statues of saints or, or stamps or, or little, you know, reminders, you know, if you look around, boy, there's sure are a whole lot of statues of people who went before us. Uh, you know, you go to Washington, D.C., you're going to see the Lincoln Memorial and there's Abraham Lincoln sitting there. Um, you know, there's statues of uh, George Washington. There's statues of different people, different political figures who've gone before. And do we call that idolatry? No, it's a part of history. Well, you know what? Having reminders of saints in our lives uh, not only will help us through our sufferings, but it's a part of Catholic history. And that's what it, that's all it really comes down to. But this is important because if we feel like we're struggling, here are 10 quotes from saints who talk about struggling. So let's read some of these. I think these are interesting. And I think it's very, very uplifting uh, for us if we ever feel like we are suffering and there's no immediate relief. Uh, one of them says, pain and suffering have come into your life, but remember pain, sorrow, suffering are but the kiss of Jesus, a sign that you have come so close to him that he can kiss you. And that was St. Teresa of Calcutta, also known as Mother Teresa. Uh, another really good one, if anybody follows Divine Mercy, uh, and the Lord said to me, my child, you please me most by suffering in your physical as well as your mental sufferings. My daughter, do not seek sympathy from creatures. I want the fragrance of your suffering to be pure and unadulterated. I want you to detach yourself, not only from creatures, but also from yourself. The more you will come to my love suffering, my daughter, the purer your love for me will be. 
And that was from the diary of St. Maria Faustina uh, of the divine mercy of my soul. So that's Christ speaking to her, really letting us know, as we learn from this, um, that the more we suffer, actually, the more pure we come to Christ. Why? Well, that sounds like a pretty sadistic God that you have there. He likes to see, you know, masochistic. He's sadistic. He likes to see pain. He likes to see blood. What is this? No, it's because as we suffer, as we experience that, we can offer that as a sacrifice to make up for our sins. And that's why our love becomes more pure. It's strictly a love where we focus on God himself and not what we're going to gain from him, but what we can give to him through our suffering. Let's look at this next one. When I shrink from suffering, Jesus reproves me and tells me that he did not refuse to suffer. Then I say, Jesus, your will and not mine. At last, I am convinced that only God can make me happy. And I, in him, I have a place, all my hope. Um, so, <clears throat> I'm sorry. And I, in him, I have placed all my hope. That was St. Gemma Galgani. So, if anybody knows St. Gemma Galgani, she was Italian and she did a lot of, uh, shall we say, deliverance. She fought the, the demons very uh, well all the time and she was always being attacked. Um, but she tells us that we're not supposed to shrink from suffering. I remember when I read these and I say suffering, we really need to think sacrifice. We need to think that if I feel something negative, I think something negative, if I'm emotionally in a bad place, but I'm not exactly suffering from clinical depression, I can still function. I can still go to work. This is where, what's the difference? You know, I can still go through life and I can talk to people. It's just interiorly, I don't feel good. There's something amiss. I need to offer that up. Maybe do a holy hour, maybe unite myself to Christ that way. I remember that who better would to understand my suffering than Christ himself? So there is uh, another one. Those who pray and suffer, leaving action for others, will not shine here on earth, but what a radiant crown they will wear in the kingdom of life. Blessed be the apostle of suffering. And that was St. Jose Maria Escriva. So if anybody knows <coughs> um, St. Escriva, he was Opus Dei. But one of the things to consider here is that sometimes we suffer and we we don't feel good and we want to see immediate relief here in this earth. We want to see material goods come out of it or material well-being. And the reality is we're not going to gain that. We're only going to uh, see our reward in heaven. But I think that even though we don't see it here, I'll take the reward in heaven over the reward here. Um, let's look at the next one. Oh, this is a really good one. Uh, a cross carried simply and without those returns of self-love, which exaggerate troubles, is no longer a cross. Peaceable suffering is no longer suffering. Peaceable suffering is no longer suffering. We complain of suffering, so suffering shouldn't be a peaceful thing. We should have much more reason to complain and not suffering, since nothing makes us more like our Lord than carrying his cross. Oh, what a beautiful union of the soul with our Lord Jesus Christ by the love and the virtue of his cross. And that was St. John Vianney, who's a patron saint of priests, also a warrior of deliverance who went through many trials with uh, uh, the demons who would fight him. Here's a good one. Trials and tribulations offer us a chance to make reparation for our past faults and sins. On such occasions, the Lord comes to us like a physician to heal the wounds left by our sins. Tribulation is the divine medicine. St. Augustine of Hippo. So St. Augustine, of course, uh, we know that he went through a lot of trials and tribulations and he, making up for past sins is really one of the keys because that's what's going to prepare us for heaven. If we can offer our sacrifice uh, in, in that way, then we're going to make it to heaven. And I think that's a really good thing. One must not think that a person who, oh, this is good. I think we need to listen to this one. One must not think that a person who is suffering is not praying. He is offering up his sufferings to God and many a time he is praying much, 
more truly than one who goes away by himself and meditates his head off, and if he has squeezed out a few tears, thinks that is prayer. And that was St. Teresa of Avila, one of the doctors of the church, who is really saying, you know, just because you, you see somebody suffering and you think, oh, they're not praying, but we think that, oh, prayer is just to go and be pious and quietly pray and meditate, which don't get me wrong, it is. I mean, it's great to meditate. But sometimes if we're sitting there and meditating, and, um, but we don't realize that we're by offering our suffering as a sacrifice, that could be a much more of a prayer to God because we're uniting ourselves to God. Ultimately, what's the, what's the point of prayer? We think prayer sometimes is to uplift us, but really prayer is to unite us to God, whether that be in suffering or in ecstasy, because St. Teresa of Avila also experienced ecstasies, but really what it is is uniting to God either way. And if we turn our sufferings into sacrifice, that is the probably the ultimate prayer because as we see, that is what Christ did. That's the sacrifice of the Mass every Sunday, turning the suffering into a sacrifice for the greater good. Listen to this one. I do not know what will happen to me. I only know one thing for certain, that the Lord will never fall short of his promises. Do not fear. I will make you suffer, but I also give you the strength to suffer. Jesus tells me continually, I want your soul to be purified and tried by a daily hidden martyrdom. How many times, Jesus said to me a little while ago, would you have abandoned me, my son, if I had not crucified you? And that was St. Padre Pio. So he's saying that through our sufferings, we unite ourselves to Christ. And a lot of times if we don't suffer, that's, then we don't even pay attention to God. Sometimes it's because of our sufferings that all of a sudden we turn to God and we pray and we ask him to help us. And that's maybe God telling us, hey, I miss you. you know. And if you're not going to pay attention to me, I got to get your attention somehow. So don't abandon me. Let's see, a couple more here. <clears throat> to the prospect of the kingdom of God is linked hope in that glory which has its beginning in the cross of Christ. The resurrection revealed this glory, eschatological glory. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ are also called through their own sufferings to share in glory. We unite with Christ in suffering. We will unite with Christ in glory. That was St. John Paul II. And then this one, I want to suffer and even rejoice for love, for this is my way of scattering flowers. Never a flower shall I find, but its petals shall be scattered for you. And all the while I will sing. Yes, always sing, even when gathering roses in the midst of thorns. And the longer and sharper the thorns may be, the sweeter shall be my song. And that was St. Teresa of Lisieux, the little flower who I spoke about earlier today. The saints tell us suffering is part of life. It doesn't feel good. But I think it's nice to know that we are not alone in our sufferings. The saints suffered. We're all suffering. And if anybody kind of blows off your sense of suffering, I wouldn't say ignore them, but I would say they don't understand the reality that we all suffer in different ways. Um, and to that, Richard, can you put on my email, doctor, that's dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. Anybody who emails me, I'm going to be giving away a chaplet of the seven sorrows of Our Lady because I hope everybody's praying that chaplet um, on Fridays uh, leading up to uh, <clears throat> uh, the month of September. So I'm going to be giving away a chaplet uh, weekly, anybody who emails me and tells me how they're doing with praying the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And we're going to talk more about that on the next show. So stay tuned next week to hear more about the seven sorrows and how that's going to help us, not just in terms of our suffering the way we spoke today, but also in terms of growing in virtue, because through our suffering, we can also grow in virtues. We're going to talk about the four cardinal virtues and how that's going to make us grow spiritually, how that's going to help us in our suffering, but it also how it's going to make us think a whole lot more like Catholics so we can be Catholics. 
Until next time, think like a Catholic, live like a Catholic so that we can be Catholic. And we'll see you here at the clinic at the Dr. Sandoval Show next week.